You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Have, um, William here. Um, Sarah, I wonder uh, when he when he first met you if he said, "Hi, I'm Will. God's will for your life." <laughs> That's my segue into our sermon today. Have you ever tried figuring out what God's will is for your life? You know, we do that. Where should I move? Someone snorted. <laughs> Where should I move? What job should I, which job should I take? Uh, who should I marry? Right? We always do that. By the way, ladies, from my experience, um, the one indicator for what men look, Christian men look for in a woman, in a potential spouse, according to all the times that I've talked with these guys and said, hey, why, why are you now pursuing her? Why are you now dating her? And this has been the prerequisite. She lifts her hand in worship. So that's pretty much it. So ladies, if you ever want to find a guy, just wor- lift your hands up and worship, and apparently like, they'll just be drawn to a moth or flame like that. Anyways, um, oftentimes the pursuit of God's will, it seems complicated, right? It seems complicated. I mean, when we pursue it, sometimes there's a combination of, of seeking confirmation and being and having, receiving confirmation mixed with just a lot of, um, what is it? Just my heart's desire, perhaps, that's driving me towards this? Is, is that really how it is? Is it that I'm actually seeking and receiving confirmation, or is it simply out of my own just desire? I mean, there's really no end to our self-doubt, second-guessing, and really the intense scrutiny of our motives. Am I really being true to, um, to my motives or to really what God wants from me? And I think that's what's happened with Jacob in our text today. Because in verses 25, 28, his son brings him word that Joseph is alive. I mean, what a, what a crazy kind of story that is, that the sons will come to the father and say, you know what, Dad? Joseph is actually alive. And he wasn't just alive. He was doing pretty darn well. He was ruling Egypt. But not only that, Joseph, Dad, Joseph sent, is sending for you to come back to Egypt, come to Egypt so that he could just lavish us and lavish you for the rest of your days with luxury and with ease. And now Jacob, he had trouble at first believing this story because, remember, his son was dead for 22 years. And then all of a sudden, hearing this, he had a hard time. But finally, he was convinced. And he was convinced because, because he was convinced, what did he have to do next? He was convinced, so all he had to do was, what, pack up and go? That was it, right? All he needed to do was just kind of pack up his stuff and transition from Canaan, from the land that he was at, the promised land, to Egypt. I mean, he says that in verse 28. He says, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So it seems like I know what to do next. I got to go see him. I miss him. I love him. So Jacob, he packed up and he set out. And so after gathering all his belongings and all his people, he went. And he got as far as Beersheba, which is only about 25 miles down the road from where he was at. But then when he got there, he stopped. Now in our passage, it seems that Jacob simply kind of stopped at Beersheba to offer sacrifices to the Lord. 
But what happened here is the lesson for us to hear right now. Because what was said that night when the Lord spoke to Jacob, this is the exchange that you and I really need to get into. And we'll start seeing really the mindset of Jacob and why he was struggling with this whole exchange. So you see, Jacob's struggle was that he desperately wanted to see his son, right? Jacob wants to see Joseph. They haven't seen each other in over two decades. That was his dream. That was his heart's desire. But Jacob also knew that it had to be part of God's will. It had to be a part of God's will. Now you're probably thinking, well, why wouldn't this be a part of God's will? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't God want Jacob to see his long-lost son? It's a no-brainer, duh. Well, actually, we're going to look a little bit deeper into what I mean by that. So let's look at what God said to Jacob in the vision that night. And we're going to work at it backwards and figure out why Jacob was so confused and why he was struggling with this. In fact, why he was so fearful of what just happened. And so the first one is this. First point, Jacob feared the effect Egypt might have on his family. He really feared the effect that Egypt would have on his family. Now, Jacob had already seen the horrible influence of the sins of the Canaanites on his son. But Egypt was kind of a, a different animal compared to Canaan, uh, the people of Canaan. Egypt was a bit crazier. Egypt was a bit more intimidating. You see, Egypt at this time was one of the most highly developed countries in the world at that time. They had experts in mathematics, architecture, in agriculture, astronomy, and even medicine. And maybe that's awesome, and I think it is. I think it is pretty awesome. There's deep culture there. There's deep intellect there. Egypt, man, was a place to go to learn, to grow in your intellect, to be just, to really just surround yourself with really lofty, smart guys. But here's the problem. As smart and as great and developed as Egypt was, Egypt was also land deep in idolatry. Deep in idolatry. In Egypt, there was a pantheon of gods. I think we all know this. There's Nu, the god of life in the river. There's Geb, the god of the land. Nephri, the god of grain. There's Anubis, the guardian of the fields. There's Min, the god of harvest and crops. There are also these gods in the form of animals. There was Apis, the bull god. There was Hathor, the cow goddess. There was Sekhmet, the lion. There was Kum, the ram. There was Sobek, the crocodile. There was Thoth, the Ebus. There was Horus. You've heard Horus in month, the bird gods. But there was also a god called Nut. He was the sky god. There was also Shu, the god of the atmosphere. And the greatest of all those gods was Ra, the sun god. And so they believed, the Egyptians believed, that the reigning current pharaoh was the embodiment of Ra. That's where they worshipped him. Now the people of Egypt were taught to learn about their gods and were certainly taught to worship and make sacrifices to their gods. So how could the sons of Israel, how could Jacob and his family, how could they travel and immigrate into such a pagan nation, into such a pagan culture, and not completely lose their identity as the people of God. That was a fear. Do you, do you get that? Does that make sense to you? Right? They're entering this land that was incredibly intimidating, not just intellectually and agriculturally and economically developed, but they were just filled with idolatry. How would he bring his children and his children's children to a place like that. Honestly, that's a fear for a lot of our children today, especially as a parent. There's a lot of things that go against the teachings of the Bible that are really just starting to increase uh, in our schools too. 
Many schools, they aren't only teaching evolution as a theory, but now as a fact. And by the way, many teachers, they won't even entertain opposing viewpoints. In fact, I remember back in my middle school and high school days, whenever I did bring up a question, which oftentimes would be me, I'd say, really, well, you know, not really having too much knowledge of it, I would say, well, what about this? They would just hammer me down. And I don't know how to defend myself against, you know, a teacher who has a master's or a PhD. In fact, I've even had friends who spiraled out of whatever faith they had because their school teachers or science teachers or philosophy teachers or whomever would just badger them constantly about their faith. And now these teachers who all claim scientific empiricism as their foundation of truth, they completely contradict themselves, especially now in this current day as they enter and endorse gender fluidity and things like that. I know that's a hot topic. In some schools, elementary schools, and I saw this in the news recently, elementary school students as young as 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 are being taught how to have sex, what sex is and how to have sex and how to have safe sex. In fact, some elementary schools around the nation are now adopting um, transgenderism as part of their teaching curriculum. So these young students are coming home, always thinking they're a guy, they're a boy or a girl, but now they think they're questioning their own gender. And their parents are like, why are you thinking this? And they real, they're realizing that the schools are teaching this now. That's possible to go back and forth or so on. And so for young children who barely know anything, their sponge-like minds are now being fed all these falsehoods and lies. Jacob wasn't just a father of 12 grown men who should probably know better by now. No, he was also the patriarch over all the members of the family, including his children, his grandchildren, and maybe even potential great-great-grandchildren. How in the world could he enter into such a brazen pagan nation and not lose the identity of that of the covenant people? Would that be irresponsible? Would that be foolish? Perhaps. But what did God say? In verse 3, he says this. Then he said, I am God. God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. So what does this tell us? It tells us as Christians and as as Christian parents, I get that we want to protect our children, and we should. In fact, I was even thinking about Susanna's private school, Christian school, a great school to send our kids. It's a great school. It's Christian. It has Christian teachings. I even looked at their staff, and a couple guys graduated from my seminary, and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, the school's solid. You know, all that stuff. I get that we want to protect our kids and all that stuff, but one thing we're not called to do is live a bubble life. We're not called to live a monastic life. We're not called to create a gated community of believers. We're not called to quarantine ourselves from the rest of the world. We're not called to only invite, especially with the, with the love festival coming uh, in a few weeks, we're not called to only invite good, wholesome individuals into our church, people who don't have a past, people who don't have baggage. No. What does God want from us and for us? Sometimes God is pleased to plant his people right in the middle of controversy and, ad, uh, and adversity. Did you know that? God does that. Sometimes God will place us in these situations to test our faith. But here's what we know from verse 3. It's not about where we're at in life. It's about who we're with. Who are you with today? It's not about where you're at. It's about who you're with. And God says that he wants Jacob there. He wants Jacob there because he is his God, and he will make him great for his glory. Are you concerned about where you're at in life? Because the Lord says, don't be, because he is with you. 
It's not about where you're at. It's about who you're with. And the Lord is with you. Amen? But not only that, Jacob feared leaving the land would mean abandoning God's covenant. So Jacob had pretty good reason to be concerned about this. Beersheba was right at the edge of the promised land. If you go past Beersheba a little bit more, it's just desert until you hit Egypt. So when Jacob rolled the carts out of Beersheba, it really was a point of no return because now he really would be leaving this promised land, the land of God's promise, Canaan. And if, if you recall, his forefathers have actually tried this before. In the previous time, during another famine, Abram had gone down to Egypt and he was driven there because of his lack of faith. And what happened? He almost lost his wife to the Pharaoh. Then chapter 26, when famine struck again, Isaac, who was Jacob's father, wanted to go down to Egypt for food. And it was here at Beersheba that God specifically said, uh-uh, don't go. This is not my will. I don't want you to go. And he, and he specifically forbade him to go. So no matter how much he wanted, Jacob wanted to be reunited with his long-lost Joseph, he knew that if it meant leaving God's covenant land, if it meant leaving God's promise, if it meant leaving God's covenant behind, it would not be worth it. He's saying, you know, God, you're worth it. I want you more than anything else. But the difference is this. The difference was that Jacob's situation was far different from Abram's or Isaac's. Because God says to Jacob, go, don't be afraid. Whereas for Abram and Isaac, God said, don't go. Trust me. Stay where you're at. And so in verse 4, the Lord says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. So get this. This is really important. It was never about the land. It was never about the land. The land, it held no power. The promised land, Canaan, it held no power. It was, it, it was not magical. It was not Narnia. There was nothing magical about that place. It wasn't about what the land could provide of filled with milk and honey. No. You know what God was saying? He's saying, it's not about the land. He's saying, it's about being in the presence of God. That is what he was teaching Jacob at this moment. Being in the presence of God. Being where God is, is where you are blessed. Do you get that? Being where God is, that's where you're blessed. If God wants Jacob in Egypt, then Egypt is the place God's blessing will fall upon just as much as at Canaan. But here's the thing. If God is not present, then even the fertile lands of Canaan or even the lands of Egypt would be nothing. Even all the wealth and the sophistication of Egypt would be nothing. So we all need to decide on this today. Are you with the Lord today? Are you with the Lord today? Are you finding yourself to be in his presence today and every day? Or let me ask you this other question. What has become your promised land? What has become your promised land? What is the thing or the person or the place you think that once you get there, once you arrive, what, that you'll be somehow spiritually better off, that you'll somehow be spiritually stronger? Here's newsflash for us. If you're not spiritually doing well now, you're not going to do spiritually well somewhere else. Because it's about the presence of God in your life right now. If you're not experiencing the presence of God now, then you'll be hard-pressed to find it elsewhere because it's not about the location of your body. It's about the location of your heart. Where is your heart? And we keep thinking, for example, 
If we get married to an awesome Christian guy, oh, he'll lead me. He'll lead me to that promised land. Or we keep thinking, if I marry that Proverbs 31 woman who's righteous and who is wise and who is faithful, if I could find this Proverbs 31 woman who will partner with me, then, man, I'll be doing so much better spiritually. I'll be on cloud nine. Life will be perfect. Nope. If you're spiritually dying, the only power that you need is the power of Christ to resurrect your spirit. It is not found in someone, some place, or something else. You must find it in the presence of God, and that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. The will of God here is that he wants you to be with him now. He's not one step ahead of you. He's not waiting for you at the terminal. He didn't skip ahead of you into the next chapter of your life. He's not waiting for you in marriage while you're single right now. And if you are married, he's not waiting for you when you have kids. That's not it. He's here right now, this instant, and he desires for you to be with him in his presence. Do you believe that? If so, say amen. Jacob, he didn't want to leave Canaan because he thought that was where God's covenant and promises lay too. No, God's covenant and his promises, it was within God, not some location. But not only that, Jacob had another fear. He feared for himself. So at this point, do you know how, Jacob, how old Jacob was? He was 130 years old. And let me tell you, I know I'm not 130 years old. I know I'm still considered young. But even at my age, change doesn't come easy. I can't even imagine what it would be like for Jacob. You know, I remember a few years ago uh, during a lock-in with the youth when I was a youth pastor. The youth kids, they had the audacity to ask me if I would pull an all-nighter with them. So almost after choking on whatever I was eating, I said, have you lost your mind? I said, I can't do stuff like that anymore and go back to bed. <clears throat> Things change. We get older, and sometimes we can't just up and do what we please anymore. So what will it mean for Jacob to move from his homeland to a country far, far away? What will he do with a different culture? What will he do surrounded by a different people who speak a different language? I'm sure he was scared. I'm sure he was intimidated. Jacob, he doesn't know how things would work out. And yeah, he hadn't seen his son Joseph in 22 years. But man, see, going to a brand new area, leaving his home, facing a new land, a new people, new everything, that was scary. But God says, Jacob, don't be afraid. And then in verse 4, God says this, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Joseph's hand will close your eyes. What does this mean? This is a reference to the custom of the eldest son gently closing the eyes of his deceased father. It's a Jewish custom that still goes on to this day. So what was God saying through this tradition? God was saying he was assuring, reassuring Jacob that he'll be taken care of. You don't have to worry. That from the day Jacob arrives to his new land to the end of his life, Joseph will ensure that his, body's, his father's body will come back home. Now let me ask you something. When you hear the word of God, when you read the Bible, when you pray and you, and you hear the echoing of his words in your heart, does the word of God, do the words of God, does the will of God, do the desires of God, the promises of God, do they comfort you? Do they comfort you? Do the words of God encourage you? Does it give you life? Does it give you vitality? Do the words of God, do they sound personal and, and good and wonderful to you, just as it did for Jacob? Do you know what 
Do you know that the words of comfort only came to Jacob when he finally did this one thing? Because before, even though God spoke his words of truth and power, there were things that Jacob just didn't want to hear. It opposed him. He didn't like it. It went against the spirit. It went against his flesh. But do you know when those same words that God spoke became different in his life, when they became comfortable, when they became powerful, when they became true? It was only when he surrendered his heart's desire to the Lord. When he finally said, God, I give up. God, I surrender my everything to you. That is when he came to realize that, God, you are good, that you are faithful, and that you are true. It all happened when he stopped dead in his tracks, stopped in the midst of all the hustle and bustle to move so that he can make sacrifice, and he worshiped, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Look, the words of God, they were sweet, and they were comforting to Jacob when he surrendered to the God of the Father, God of his Father, and to the God of the covenant. Are the words of the Lord sweet to your ears? Are they like honey? Or do they taste bitter? Are they warring with you? Are they clashing with you? You know, whenever I'm spiritually off, and it happens from time to time, it's always when my worship is off. When I'm spiritually off, it's always because my worship is off. It's when I refuse to humble myself before God. It's when I enter into worship, right? I sit right there. I stand right there. I worship with you right there. But it's when I come and I sit there, and I come with more of a a critical spirit than with humility. It's when I say, okay, God, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to magnify my words rather than, God, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I deserve from you. Today, the only thing I can, I can ever, uh, that I need right now is your mercy and your tender grace. When we surrender ourselves before God is when we begin to really see the power and the comfort of his words. And it won't matter how big our circumstances may be because as we decrease ourselves in humility, we will begin to see the increase of God's power and his might in your life. And so Jacob, he receives God's approval to pick up his family and move to Egypt, and that's what he does. And so all his sons and his grandsons are all listed by name, all 70 of them, and they leave nothing and no one behind. And this was a monumental, huge event in the history of God's people. It was the pilgrimage into, into Egypt. Now this is my final point. As God directs us, we will encounter sorrow and joy but we have to obey. Turn to your neighbor and say, but we must obey. Now, I think with all the confusion behind God's will, the story of Joseph does a remarkable job in teaching us what to do when it seems, when it seems that God isn't as clear as we would like for him to be. So what do we see in Joseph's life? Well, in Joseph's life, we see ups and downs, don't we? We see things that could have gone better, things that were simply unjust, Things that would have made any of us, if we were ever in Joseph's shoes, that we would probably have given up in total frustration. We would have been completely embittered. But through it all, what do we see? We see Joseph's obedience towards what is true, what is good, and what is holy. So there's a saying, there's no safer place than in the will of God. Have you heard of that before? There's no safer place than in the will of God. Now, I get what they're trying to say. But it's wrong for two reasons. First, because you can't be out of the will of God. You can't be out of the will of God. God's sovereign will encompasses all. 
But secondly, from experience, also from seeing other believers, including those mentioned in Scripture, it seems as if the will of God is one of the most dangerous places to be. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, I want to talk about someone, a wonderful Christian apologist, Dr. Nabil Qureshi. Maybe you've heard of him. He's all over Facebook. If um, Maybe you've seen him. He's a physician. He's also an apologist. And he passed away yesterday at the age of 34 from stomach cancer. He was, he was a devout Muslim. His family could actually trace their lineage back to the prophet Muhammad. His parents were devout as well. And the parents from a very young age of Nabil and his siblings, they taught their children to love and to love people, to be good, to, to memorize and read the Quran and do all that, to follow the five pillars. Well, Dr. Qureshi, around his medical school, medical school years, he went to uh, EVMC. He entered into a saving relationship with Christ. And what happened was his parents' hearts broke, and they ultimately disowned him. They didn't even go to his wedding. There is really no communication between them. And with all the work done, with all the things that have happened, with all the lives saved through Dr. Qureshi's testimony, at his young age, he leaves behind a wife and a baby. You see, Dr. Qureshi, he was rejected and he was threatened. He was even threatened by his fellow Muslims. He was rejected by his family. And then he was stricken with cancer. He died, leaving behind his young family. And so someone might say, God, is this your will? How could this be your will? This young wife, this young, practically new baby, infant daughter. And he was doing so much. If you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias, they worked together. He was a power. He was a powerhouse in the apologetics world. He was doing amazing things. He was not only medically helping people, but spiritually, he was sharing the gospel where people's lives are just Going, coming to the Lord, amazing things were happening, and all of a sudden the stomach cancer happens, and he died yesterday. Yesterday, at the age of 34. Was this the will of God? And the answer is yes. Yes, always yes. Trouble, pain, sorrow, suffering, even death does not influence and does not change the current of God's will. Even the life of Jacob, even in the trouble that he encountered, by the way, much of it was his own doing, own his making, but all of that was part of God's will. What was, what was, how troubled was Jacob's life? For instance, his father favored his brother, his twin brother Esau. Then Jacob cheated Esau out of his blessing. Then, out of fear, he ran away to Uncle Laban's house, and his own uncle cheats him. When Jacob had enough money to leave, his uncle threatened to come after him. Then, in the midst of all that, he encounters his brother who had previously threatened to kill him if he ever found him again. Then, the angel of the Lord wrestles and confronts Jacob, leaving him crippled for the rest of his life. And when he settled back in the land, Shechem rapes his daughter, Diana. So in retaliation, Jacob's sons massacred all the men of Shechem, making Jacob public enemy number one. Then his dear wife that he loved so much and he worked so hard to be able to get the blessings from the uncle, she died in childbirth. Then his most favorite beloved son Joseph was apparently killed by a wild animal. And now for 22 years, Jacob had lived day by day in unrelenting grief. How was the will of God for Jacob? 
difficult. Filled with sorrow. Filled with pain. The will of God to obey and follow God and to live righteously and to pursue after faith. You see, it is not a cakewalk. And folks, let's remind ourselves of this lesson today. You might be facing certain hardships today. I don't know what they are. But don't just try to escape them. Don't look for greener pastures. Don't look for an easy way out because here's the thing. These trials that you're facing today, these trials that may have been something that God placed in your life or something that you placed in your own life because of some poor decision that you made, either way, this trial, this tribulation, this pain is meant to refine you. It's meant to shape you. You know that? Every day is a day given to us by God to reveal just how much we need him. But also, I believe, will illuminate just how faithful you are. But more importantly, how faithful he is. When you're burdened, brothers and sisters, when you're burdened, don't go on vacation. Don't consume pints and pints of haagen Go to him. Enter into his presence with complete humility. You will find that where you are right now is where you exactly need to be. And where you are is the perfect place and it is the perfect time to enter and seek after his presence. Now even in all the sorrow, Jacob also experiences amazing joy. You see at the end of chapter 45, we can hear his excitement as Jacob is finally convinced that Joseph is really alive. Let me read verses 29 and 30. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel, who is Jacob, said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. You know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds like old Simeon when Jesus was born. Do you remember that? Lord, you can let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have now seen your salvation. I can't even imagine the joy that Jacob was experiencing. Jacob had no hope at all that his son was alive. For 22 years, his beloved child was gone, presumably dead. But not only was he alive, Joseph was ruling the most powerful and prosperous nation at that time. So was God working in times of trouble, or was he only working in times of joy? We know the answer, don't we? The answer is both. Both. In your troubles, God is working. But in your good times, in your joy, God is working as well. In the so- it's the soil of hardship. Is that where God is working? Or is it in the soil of ease? It's not one or the other because Job said this. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Everything is from the Lord. And everything is purposeful. God's guidance isn't about following our feelings of good or bad. You may be in a bad place right now. Maybe the badness, it seems endless. And time and time again, you're just at the cusp of giving up. Maybe right now you're thinking about even giving up your own life. And we feel this way because there seems to be no answers coming from the Lord. Everything is just dark. It's cloudy. Church, the Lord has spoken to us today. God is working out his sovereign will in your life, whether you know it or not. God is mercifully leading and directing you, whether you know it or not. God is graciously providing for your needs today. God is here. God desires to have a greater presence in your life, and he calls us to simply do this. Trust and obey him. Trust and obey him. 
And as we make decisions, some bad, some good, God will be merciful. When we mess up, and I will mess up, and you will mess up too, and we will feel alone, God will guide us. When it seems our lives are filled with one sorrow after another, keep walking with him, and one day, it may not be in this lifetime, but one day, like Dr. Kureshi said in his testimony, with all the heartaches that he received from following Christ, with all the broken relationships that, he, that occurred from following Christ, with all the pain and suffering from following Christ, he said, it was worth it. I want to read a little excerpt from his testimony, and I end with this. He said, the next verse spoke to me, saying, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He said, Jesus was being very blunt. For Muslims, following the gospel is more than just a call to prayer. It is a call to die. I knelt at the foot of my bed, and I gave up my life to him. A few days later, the two people I love most in this world were shattered by my betrayal. To this day, my family is broken by the decision I made, and it is excruciating every time I see the cost I had to pay. But Jesus is the God of reversal and redemption. He redeemed sinners to life by his death, and he redeemed a symbol of execution by repurposing it for salvation. He redeemed my suffering by making me rely upon him for my every moment, bending my heart toward him. It was there in my pain that I knew him intimately. He reached me through my investigations, through my dreams and my visions, and he called me to prayer in my suffering. It was there that I found Jesus. To follow him is worth giving up everything. And he says, this was his last statement before he died. This was done on Friday, I believe. Friends and family, may I ask you to fast and pray fervently for my healing. I do not profess to know the will of the Lord, but many of my close friends and confidants are convinced that this is a trial through which the Lord intends to bring me alive and refined. May his will be done. And may I invite you to seek him in earnest on your knees, fasting on my behalf, asking our Yahweh Rapha for healing in Jesus' name. And as you pray and fast, he says, quoting from Philippians 1, 18, 20, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for his glory, Nabil. Friends, whether it's through the needless grief of Jacob or the hardships of faithfulness from Joseph, what is his truth today? Know this, that as his child, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. He is using your life to bring you to an end of yourself so that you might live in the joy, and it is complete joy, to be able to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. And so our dear brother, who is now in the sweet eternal embrace of our Lord and King, may we also rejoice in the knowledge that we have Jesus, and he is all we need. Amen? Let's pray. As we take a moment just to pray, my belief is simply that the Lord has spoken to you. He's bothering you right now. 
if you are offended. That is the message of the gospel. You see, the gospel is offensive. When Christ says, it's me, or nothing at all, it is offensive. You see, the nature of the message of God through his son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for our sins, was propositional. You either accept Christ, and accepting means to surrender. Surrender and say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You are the only one I need. My life is purposeless, is directionless, it is aimless without you. God, be my God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, be my God. Lead me not into the promised land, but lead me into your presence. And you see, the bridge to the presence of our Father is through his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Are you surrendering to him today? If not, why not? Have you created for yourself a promised land that if I get this, if I get her, if I get him, if I accomplish this, then life will be so much better. I will be spiritually better. I will do better. No, no, no. You see, it's not about that. It's not about the location or place. or It's not about the diploma. It's not about the degree. It is about God. Do you have God? Are you in his presence today? So let's take a moment. Let's pray. We have plenty of time. Just pray. Seek him in earnestness. Open your heart and say, God, this is how I feel. This is, these are the questions I have. But Lord, I want to surrender. I want to give up everything. I want to obey you. Teach me how to obey you. Okay, let's take this time and pray, and then we'll go into our last song.